Hello, I'm James King and welcome to Cinema Stories, the programme that doesn't just celebrate films, it's about the whole film-going experience. From the mainstream at the multiplex to the avant-garde at the art house, each week my guest tells us about the picture palaces, movie clubs and forgotten flea pits that have shaped their cinema-going life. With me this week is the film critic and broadcaster Rihanna Dillon. Rihanna's name and voice will be familiar to listeners of Radio 1 and Radio 2, as well as to fans of several movie podcasts and the Build London series of interviews on YouTube. She got her first job at Radio 1 after a nationwide search for a new (laughs) on-air film expert. She was actually still studying at Reading University when she heard she got the role. Brianna, I'm sure we will be going over those early days um, so. as a film critic later. But uh, to start, tell us about the importance of cinema going for you and the venue for you. Does it matter where you see a film? Oh, I think I've probably got a lot more discerning as I've got older. When I was younger, there wasn't a huge amount to pick from. So it was like local Odeon, local Cineworld. Um, I don't think it was even called that back then. And you go where your parents take you. Yeah, exactly. And then you go where your mates go, which was always like the centre of town. Um, and they were always, you know, really kind of crummy, no atmosphere. But it was, of course, it was, it was so exciting. It was always so much fun. And it was so cheap. I remember <laughs> I've still got tickets, <laughs> like cinema stops. This is, this is you know, how cool I am I've kept all those cinema stubs from when I was really young and they were like £3.50 isn't that the most depressing thing yeah. <laughs> inflation guys <laughs> but it's it's weird as well that I, I, I feel guilty about this but I would go sometimes before I really got into films and you'd go just to hang out with your mates mm-hmm. and you'd like throw popcorn at the screen <laughs> you're and one you'd of the talk, popcorn guys you know and people Ugh. tell you to be quiet and you just think that is yeah. my ultimate nightmare now <laughs> but I was that person when I was watching When Harry Met Sally or whatever it was I was watching you know so I kind of feel guilty but um you we, weren't that bad we well we were definitely chatters we definitely talked I did de- get told off for talking through funny enough Pride and Prejudice which was um Joe Wright's adaptation I think I was probably telling my friends how much I hated it <laughs> <laughs> um but I remember that and yeah and the Odeon and I like I have now since as an adult I think only what did I see there I think maybe one of the more recent Star Wars I like, took my mum and dad mum slept through it dad I think quite enjoyed it. But for me, going back to that cinema where I'd spent so many years of my youth was a really bizarre experience. And I I hated it because I'm now so used to much nicer cinemas and much smaller, intimate spaces. And just having this enormous auditorium full of people throwing popcorn and talking and little kids getting up every five minutes to go to the loo drove me mad, which I know is such a snobby, horrible thing to say. But I know that... I'm not the only one. And I know it's not just the curse of the film critic because everyone gets yeah. pissed off with people eating crisps or nachos next to them and the smelly food, blah, yeah. blah. Um, but it did really uh, have an impact on me. And I was like, God, I was one of these people. So um, talking about your childhood and growing up, I, th- I think your first cinema choice relates to the area where you grew up and, and your teenage cinema going. Yes. So what's the first cinema and what film did you watch there? So I, I've deliberately not chosen the local Odeon um, or Cineworld. I've gone for Duke of York's in Brighton um, for a few reasons. So it is, I think it is one of the oldest continuously running cinemas I think in the world not just in the UK so I think it opened in 1910 and so it has that real old school gorgeous facade um if you know Brighton at all you can recognize it by a pair of can-can dancers legs sticking out the top of it um stripy tights and all uh, which was brilliant and again really added to 
it sort of being a local icon, I it's suppose. It's a very Brighton thing to do, it's isn't it? It's very Brighton. A little bit arty, a <laughs> little bit eccentric. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't really remember going there as a child. And it was a bit further out from where I lived. I was in the suburbs and this was more towards the centre. And I expect my mum will text me going, oh my God, of course we took you there. <laughs> but... Um, I remember going there. She'd also say that she didn't sleep through Star Wars, yeah, probably. she absolutely did. She sat through every film that she took me to when I was younger. Um, so I never went to the Duke of York's as a child, but then my first memory properly of going was to see Pan's Labyrinth with my first boyfriend and his parents. And that was a real... He, li- he lived like 10 minutes walking distance and it was just such an eye-opening experience for me. And I think it was really special to have seen Pan's Labyrinth there because... As we all know, it is a perfect film. Um, And that really kind of cemented that cinema in my brain as just one of the best cinemas to watch any kind of film in because it is, you feel like you're in a jazz club or something (laughs) and it's all red velvet and sofas and it was like the first time I'd sort of seen sofas rather than chairs. This was before like recliners, this is before, you know, I'd never been to the everyman cinema or anything like that. So it was just a different way of experiencing film i think for me and you could take coffee in in proper cups you know china <laughs> and again so these are little things that nowadays you wouldn't necessarily bat an eyelid at but yeah. at the time i was very impressed yeah so this was 2006 the movie came yes out. yeah i was 17 um, so uh and, w- and what i find really fascinating about it is that uh, like you said it has that sort of family feel to it mm-hmm. even though it's been going for however many years but mainstream cinemas are now trying to copy this, aren't yeah. they? You know, and that idea of the sort of family feel, the cinema club, like you said, the sofas, where you would show maybe slightly more arty films mm-hmm. and, and you could sit around and discuss them afterwards and have a drink and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that now is, is what the, the multiplexers are trying to do, or they at le- least have one screen where they try and do that. <laughs> yes. And they're just copying places like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're really inspiring places. They've actually influenced so much of our cinema going. They really are, because like you say, it is all about the social experiences. You know, people always talk about um, going to the cinema as being like a terrible idea for a date because you just don't speak to each other. And I so disagree because you can, like you're in quite an intimate setting and then you get, you have something that even if you have nothing in common you can then just dissect that film afterwards yeah. and even better if you can still do it in that same cinema and just not have to go far to have a drink and and is that what happens with you and your ex-boyfriend after Pan's Labyrinth <laughs> Ex, ex-boyfriend I think oh, right, says it okay. no. yeah. <laughs> do you know what with with Pan's Labyrinth in particular I was I mean I'm I've said this so many times I am terrible with horror films and that was one of the scariest films I think I've ever seen in my life it just frightened the hell out of me because I hadn't I never really went out of my way to watch horror yeah and I know it's more fantasy people will say it's more fantasy than horror but for me it was like an ultimate horror film but just so it was it was a brilliant horror film and uh, it stayed with me for such a long time but you know walking back from it I remember seeing a white cat jump literally just jump up onto the wall next to me and I just screamed so loudly because I'd just seen like this horrible monster with eyes in the palm of its hands chasing after a little girl I was so jumpy and frightened and Guillermo del Toro is directing your life yeah basically (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but but I really enjoyed that was because we could all then talk about it all the way home which we did you know for the whole walk home just completely in awe and it was a really special thing to have done like you know, as as a four as four of us. Yeah. Um 
you know, you could get married there. I'm not saying with your XXX, however many boyfriends. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've seen, I've seen people <laughs> have actually got married at the Duke of York. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not realise that was a wedding venue. Again, very bright thing to do. Absolutely. And yeah, Mike would love that. <laughs> I'll suggest it to him. Um, so th- I've got to say that's a pretty good start because yeah. Duke of York's being the, the oldest purpose-built cinema in the country and it's so pretty showing Pan's Labyrinth one of the great <laughs> movies of recent years yeah. I mean the only way is downhill really after that but I that's a very really good start strong. that's choice number one so where do we move on to then what's your second choice so my second choice I saw this was only a couple of years ago actually this is the Chapel Cinema in Bethnal Green and I say cinema in a very loose sense it's more it's a pop-up um so one of my best mates from Brighton actually her sister was running these little events and they were showing the Philadelphia story and it was a film that I had uh, seen years ago um but not for a long time and I'm such a huge Cary Grant fan and Catherine Hepburn is just always uh, mesmerizing on screen so I was really excited to go and see go and see it Again, I say on the big screen, it was on a projector. Mm. Um, but I think this goes back to, it doesn't have to be like the perfect cinema. It was, we were crammed into this tiny room. It was almost like a church hall or something. And we were on really hard-backed wooden seats, really uncomfortable. And the Philadelphia story is not a short film, really. Mm. And it was, again, a brilliantly fun experience because you're shoulder to shoulder with strangers but you're all buzzing to see this film and because it's not a new film people there were predominantly fans so we all um were i don't know it was just like a really lovely shared experience and we were all drinking a lot (laughs) we got pretty (laughs) hammered and i have a tiny bladder um as it is right so you don't need to go now do you no i'm fine now because i'm just in it's fine um (laughs) but i always have to sit on the aisle in any cinema (laughs) i go to okay and i hate being in the middle i hate being hemmed in because of my tiny bladder right and um so i was hemmed in in this tiny church hall and i have i I, I no idea where the toilets were so in the end i had to make my friend come outside with me and i ended up squatting in the garden (laughs) what essentially was probably a church it was probably consecrated ground or something i have no idea but that (laughs) that was it was it just added to the quirkiness of the experience one of the classiest (laughs) classic hollywood films of all time Cary grant mr suave (laughs) Catherine hepburn chic and sophisticated i feel like she would have approved really i do i think she was something out of bridesmaids that's not the philadelphia (laughs) it was a wee it was a wee it wasn't that bad (laughs) but i feel like um katherine hepburn would have completely been on board with that she was a woman who got what she wanted immediately and i needed to go and i (laughs) got my wish and those kind of pop-up cinemas, um, are they things that you've been go to? You've been to other ones Not, or secret I mean, cinema, that kind of secret thing? Secret cinema, I do try and go to. I mean, they are super expensive, yeah. Um, especially once you're in and you can't go out again. You can't buy food or drink unless you're in there, and they really hike up the prices. Um, but the whole experience, the whole immersiveness of it, I do really enjoy. I was never one for dressing up, and I once went to a Bugsy Malone one, and I didn't really understand the concept of secret cinema. Um, and wasn't dressed up, just was like in my jeans and a t-shirt. And I felt so like isolated, like yeah. people were like avoiding us because we weren't dressed up. It was really weird. Um, and so then ever since then, I've kind of gone full throttle. Well, it's like going to a fancy dress party, isn't it? And you yeah. hate the idea and you think, oh, I'm just going to go in my jeans yes. and t-shirt. And then of course, when you're there, 
you regret it. I had that with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, once. did you? And I, I really didn't want to dress up in suspenders. Oh, Rihanna. I would have loved to have seen that you in suspenders. That was not me. But as soon as I got there, and this was a, a university, a lot of engineering students, I seem to remember, <laughs> seemed, like male engineering students, seemed to relish <laughs> the idea of, be, of being allowed to dress up in women's clothing, women's underwear for the night. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of cool and response and all that sort of stuff yeah, and shouting yeah, yeah. out the lines. And, and you just feel out of place if you're not doing it. So yes. I totally agree with that. But it's an amazing way of breathing new life into cinema going Absolutely. isn't it pop-ups and secret cinemas and things like that yeah I, I mean the Philadelphia story is a very old film but mm-hmm. to to get presumably a full haul yeah, yeah, of people after all these years of it being out and being on the tv umpteen times mm-hmm. that's amazing and also I mean if you think about the themes of the Philadelphia story I was watching it going oh this is a lot more like misogynist than I remember it being you know we do ha- we look back on these films with rose tinted glasses but you know I think Cary Grant slaps Catherine Hepburn at one point she falls over and it's uh, there were those moments I was like it's a sharp intake of breath but it's it's still like I said the acting is amazing the comic timing is so good um and it's set up so many of those sort of screwball-y comedies since as well um yeah I, I really enjoy the fact that so secret cinema have kind of started to get into a trend of doing newer films but actually i love it when they go old school and you're introducing a whole new audience perhaps or at least just like you know going along with one other person who hasn't seen this film that might be your favorite that's something really special um and i think that yeah the more that's encouraged in these little pop-up cinemas the better because we don't want to lose all that golden era of hollywood yeah well it's interesting because um i mean obviously this is your job so to ask you about watching old films black and white films from many many years ago you're obviously going to say you enjoy doing it but i know that some people have issues with it mm-hmm. don't they and and that the, yeah the pacing is different to perhaps what we we expect and the delivery is different to what we're used to nowadays um did you ever have a problem with that have you is it something you've grown into l- liking the older films um i think my mum especially was such a big fan of Cary grant and audrey hepburn which i think she inherited that love from her mother and so i just i grew up watching those sorts of films it was never a problem watching black and white i have never i, I think because your imagination 100 percent fills in the gaps i always say this about cinema anyway if it's really good if it's really well written um, you you fill in all those bits that actually you don't see. So, for example, it's a slightly different example, but with Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, everyone can sort of like picture the ear being sliced yeah. off, and you don't ever see it. The camera <laughs> goes away. Your brain just fills in the gaps because you you're led there so well. So yeah. with things like the Philadelphia Story, you it's so rich and lush, and so you can picture all these buildings and the color of her dress and the color of her hair, lipstick the swimming pool these are all really bright in my imagination even though because we know what that would look like we we don't need to be spoon-fed absolutely everything no and it's their difference to what we're used to that makes them so alluring isn't it and there really is in a lot of great black and white films that sort of sparkle about them Mm -hmm. that you know i know we talk about golden age of cinema but it's silver screen isn't it you know it's they do they do really radiate something extra special also i love that fact that um with before the invention of colour TV with black and white TV that people used to dream in black and white which I just think is fascinating and so can you imagine if you'd only ever seen black and white films and you were just dreaming in black and white as well it's just I love it so we've talked about uh, the Duke of York's in Brighton uh, the pop-up cinema in Bethnal Green which is at St Margaret's Church yes I think that's it, is. it. Yep. Yep. Uh, what's your final Remember choice? Remember the garden well um, for <laughs> the 
final choice is I've actually forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was, is something from your from choice? your professional years. Right? Oh yes, of course. So. Um, so I picked this particular one because it was my sort of first foray into being a film critic. Yes. Um, we did mention that at the beginning, didn't we, about how you were plucked from obscurity. I'm sure you won't mind me saying <laughs> it's that. It's fine. I was pretty obscure. Um, into, Still am. Into the spotlight. <laughs> yes. Um, so tell us a bit about that. and then I feel like you, you might be better place to tell I, me I, about I, that. I, yeah, I was involved. <laughs> I was involved because I was seeking a replacement for my job at yeah. uh, Radio 1. Um but um, what what was happening then in your life when suddenly you found out you, yeah. you had a, a job in London working as a film critic? It was crazy. So I was, yeah, like you said, I was at Reading University doing film and theatre and English. And I hadn't even written my dissertation, I don't think. And I remember I remember going around uh, this sort of other campus at Reading and seeing your face plastered on loads of <laughs> that walls. That must be nice for you. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, James King is coming to Reading. Um, and I was such a big fan of Radio 1. Like, that was all I listened to, like, all day. And so immediately sort of honed in on this and then my tutor came in to a class and was like oh we haven't really done a great job of advertising this but Radio 1 are coming in to um to do a film debate that they're going to then air on Edith Bowman's show and we have uh, the film critic James King coming in a couple of producers um would some of you please go along to it like she was actually asking us and I was like oh my god yes absolutely dragged my friend along who I think has only ever listened to like the world service or something and um and then we took part in this film debate you were on stage I remember um you had just had some really interesting answers we were allowed to like do a little Q&A with you afterwards and you I remember you talking about having to talk to a director about silence the silence in his films that sounds very me yeah um which I loved and we talked about I think 28 days later right. and Harry Potter and I can't remember what else and I remember sticking up for Christopher Eccleston because I love Christopher Eccleston and uh yeah and then like I got this email like a few days later asking me to come along to this I don't know, like a series of interviews or something. Yeah. Um, because Radio 1 were expanding their research team. I mean, they were actually auditions, but we yes. didn't tell you that. Yeah, so I had no idea. And they, so I went along to this and I, I did really well in about three of the interview in little bits. And the one bit that I failed on so badly was the one with you. Right. Because you well, were... I was, I was playing the role of a, a DJ and you were the film the critic. Film and critic. you had to tell me about... Scott um, Pilgrim versus the world. You did, yeah. Which went horribly, horribly... I was so nervous. I think because I was, you know, in the presence of greatness. I mean, it's a... It's a t listen, hey. <laughs> uh, it's, but, but seriously, I mean, it's a tough gig if you're a yeah. student. As you said, you hadn't written your dissertation. All no. of a sudden, you're... you're on Radio 1, essentially, even yes. though it didn't air, it was Pretending feeling Pretending it was like a little pilot, But yeah. you did something Scraped right, Rihanna. <laughs> and you got the gig, and I left, and you took over from me, and all of a sudden, you've gone from student at Reading University to living in London mm -hmm. and working as a film critic. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the cinema comes in, because we have to go and see films yeah. at, at cinemas. Um, so tell me about those early cinema going experiences as a professional film critic mm. and why you've chosen this place so i i mean i was terrified understandably going into this whole new world had no idea about and everybody was old white and male i mean you know you tick Guilty. two of those boxes yeah. you are white and male you're not old and it was just it was incredibly intimidating and not many people said hello at first because they were like who the fuck is this um 
and uh, yeah so I just had no idea so I used to just kind of go and like sneak into the back row and just kind of sit quietly probably I think I used to read my book I downloaded spooks onto my iPad I remember so there was a lot of that in the back row of cinemas while I was like waiting for the film to start and I had no idea there was this whole um sort of labyrinth of underground cinemas in Soho which is where all the film companies show critics previews of their films so the one I've picked is Soho Screening Rooms which is on Darbley Street which again I think you would just completely walk past unless you know it's there and there are three screens in it um and it's a it's a small building these are all very tiny screens but I think they completely embody and encapsulate what it's like to go to these really intimate little viewings and again be packed in with loads of other film critics a lot closer than you'd want to be sometimes yeah i mean they are because they're not like the og nesta square or a huge cinema in in, no. you know, in a city they are very small and you do feel you can hear everything everybody's saying yes. the, when they're talking before the film starts yeah. and I, I i mean i've been there but i've sort of forgotten it because this happened to me a while ago mm-hmm. but it's bringing back the memories for me now when you describe it of just feeling um like everybody's looking at you yeah. and that you don't really know what to say or what to do. Yeah. And it's an, it's an alien world. And I, yeah, I think it is really interesting that there's so much goes on in a film reviewer's life mm-hmm. that people just don't know about. No, everyone's got their special seats. and <laughs> We have. You have <laughs> Guilty. to. Um, you sit in the front row yeah. on the left. That's legs. That's a leg issue. That's it's legs. not a bladder issue. Yeah. Well, I sit in the back row and the only seat where there aren't chairs in front of me because I'm short so I can get the whole view without yeah. anyone sitting in front of me but also easy access to get out <laughs> and also legs um so yeah so i yeah that it's really interesting and there you know um philip french had his own seat in there which yeah. now i think has a plaque on it yeah so there's another very famous film critic who passed away and yeah. he was so well known for sitting in that particular place and uh, you know that's really yeah. lovely that's a I mean, really it, it is a family ultimately and there might like any family it's dysfunctional yeah but what's great about the soho <laughs> screening rooms as well is that you know if, if you went in to the lobby the waiting area they're all posters on the walls and you think okay there's film yeah. posters but they're all signed by yeah. the directors because the directors also take the rough cuts there mm-hmm. the working prints to check to project it and check things yeah. through the dailies all these there's kind of so things much history there isn't yeah there? and so um, you know, you've got like Mike Lee signing the poster mm-hmm. and going, "Love hanging out here with you." Yeah, Sign, thanks, love guys. Mike. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it it is for for film critics, but it's also for filmmakers as well. I remember once um, one of the screening rooms was closed off. I was coming from from a, the the smaller screening room and I was leaving the building. I saw that the main one was closed off and it was Madonna in there <gasps> having a private screening oh of one God. of her, one of her classics, one of her masterpieces. <laughs> but, Swept you know, away. Yeah, but you know, it's like. Wow, so that's where even the mega stars go to yeah. just check that they're how their films I love are. That. That's so cool. Yeah. The projectionists are really lovely in there as well. And it, yeah, it, I mean, it is, I, it's actually very welcome. I really enjoy going to the Soho screening rooms now. I think I obviously got over that intimidation thing very quickly. Um, and it's always very snug. And at first, I was like, oh, it's a little bit sweaty and it's a little bit like, oh, close to everyone. But as soon as the film starts, the seats are really comfortable. And again, it's such a, it's so intimate that you feel very much part of the film. Um, and I've just, I've seen some great things there over the years. And so I think, you know, you, you do have all that 
history. And also, I remember going, you know, going to these film screenings and they used to provide you with drink. That was so brilliant. It's like a 22-year-old and you're like, here, have a, have a wine, have four. And <laughs> Films are so much better after that, aren't, aren't they? Aren't they? Aren't they just? And so this whole way of watching films changed as soon as I kind of stepped through those doors um, and has sort of remained with me ever since. Um, yeah, it was, it's, a, it's very special to me, actually. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Rihanna. We talked about the Duke of York's in Brighton. We talked about the pop-up cinema in Bethnal Green. And the final choice uh, was the Soho Screening Rooms, uh, once known as Mr. Young's, I, I think. To a lot of people, it still is known as Mr. Yes. Young's, but officially now it's the Soho Screening Rooms. I'm not of that generation, unfortunately. Um, in central London. So um, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Sorry I talked about my wee a bit too much. Now that is how you finish a show, right? I've told a lot of people that Rihanna's on the podcast. They've all gone, what? Like actual, we've found love, Rihanna? I've said no, even better than that. We love Rihanna Dillon to bits. The real Rihanna. Thank you again to her for joining us. Check us out on social media at Cinema Stories Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Drop me a line, say hi. And don't forget to subscribe, to rate, to review, to tell the world about Cinema Stories. Thanks for listening. Another episode next week. Next week.